I would say the overwhelming majority of organizations are still deferring and still sticking with the 2020 or prior fee schedules. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, today I'm really excited about diving into the 2021 physician fee schedule, as well as the impact COVID has had uh, on benchmark data, productivity, and the like. And I know that in previous episodes, I have talked a lot about physician compensation and tying physician compensation into productivity as well as the application of benchmark data. And I am pleased to have with me today uh, a principal from one of the large companies that does a lot of benchmark data as well as consulting, Bob Madden. And I will let Bob introduce himself. But again, this is, Bob is from Sullivan Cotter and Sullivan Cotter has a phenomenal uh, physician compensation productivity report as well as uh, one of the premier uh, on-call physician compensation report. So Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Sullivan Cotter and what you do for Sullivan Cotter. Sure. Thanks very much, Bob, and appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Uh, as you said, I'm Bob Madden, a principal in our physician workforce at Sullivan Cotter. I've been with the firm for a little over 10 years now, and I'm based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I spend about a 50-50 split of my consulting time focusing on fair market value and commercial reasonableness, compliance issues and reports and assessments for clients. And then the other half of my time spent on assisting large healthcare organizations going through compensation redesign initiatives. So helping them think through the change management principles and aligning their new compensation structures to better support their strategic objectives. Sounds great. Well, let's dive into the issue. Uh, so as, as we know, in 2021, effective January 2021, CMS, and they do this periodically, they modify the weight of the work RVUs, which then obviously corresponds to the reimbursement that uh, CMS uh, tied with Medicare, Medicare being the largest payer in the country, that they modified those work RVUs, which has impacted total cash compensation, as well as one of the, the things that uh, you know, Bob and I work on is the, uh, the component of compensation, which is the compensation per WRVU, otherwise known as the conversion rate. So just wanted from Bob's experience, I want to find out from you, uh, what type of uh, impact has the you know, COVID, uh, plus also I think the greater impact is the 2021 
revaluation of work RVs by CMS? What kind of impact has that had on the market and plan administration? Great questions, Bob. I, I think you're right. There's sort of a double whammy effect here of COVID and fee schedule changes. Yeah, a double punch of, point, right? <laughs> yeah, somewhat of a perfect storm um, uh, that, that, that's sort of top of our clients' minds and, and the industry as a whole. I think COVID in its initial stages certainly led to a lot of organizations protecting levels of physician compensation when things like elective surgeries, for example, were shut down almost uniformly across the country. Um, so a lot of compensation protections were put in place in 2020 in particular, and that really led to some anomalies in the published survey data that came out in the year 2021, because as hopefully we're all aware, the published surveys are essentially a year in arrears. It takes some time to collect the data from the previous year, vet it, review it, and then ultimately publish it in a survey. And then on top of that, in 2021, COVID obviously is still lingering, especially in certain pockets of the country. There were additional shutdowns and in, in some instances, even you know, closing down the elective surgeries in certain pockets again. Uh, that's gonna have an impact on volumes and productivity. And organizations did their best to try to protect physician compensation to the extent that they could. And on top of that is this new fee schedule where just as an example, um, the, the, the biggest impact being the outpatient ENM code work RVU values. So those are very common work RVUs in primary care specialties, as well as many of the cognitive medical specialties. They're less prevalent in say, surgical or procedural based providers or hospital based um, physicians as well. But you know, as an example, a level three ENM code, 99213, one of the most commonly used codes, the work RVU values in the old fee schedule were 0 0.97. Under the new fee schedule, that same CPT code is worth 1.3 work RVUs. Wow. That's a significant uptick. So if you pay a historical rate per work RVU for every one of those 99213s, you're paying you know, over 30% more essentially um, for the same visit just because of the coding change. So what happened in the industry by and large was in 2021, almost all of the industry decided to not adopt the fee schedule for the purposes of compensation plan administration. When the final rule was sort of published in late 2020, that really didn't give organizations a lot of time to do the diligence and planning and, and financial calculations to figure out the true impact of moving on to the new fee schedule and what that would do from an affordability standpoint, as well as from a fair market value and compliance standpoint. And now here we are in 2022, and while more organizations have started to move to the new fee schedule, and have had to take a long, hard look at their compensation structures and their rates per work RVU to balance affordability, compliance, and recruitment and retention all together in a way that makes sense. I would say the overwhelming majority of organizations are still deferring and still sticking with the 2020 or prior fee schedules because there really isn't good published market data that they can pull off the shelf and serve as a comparator to say, you know what, the rates 
for this specialty used to be this, and now they're something different because of the new fee schedule. Yeah, so let's let's talk about a misconception. And uh, literally, I've had this conversation, you probably have too, that you have a physician who's always been paid on the most current fee, uh, fee schedule and the most current benchmark data. And so with this physician, the physician is going to say, well, uh, I have always received, let's say, $100 per work RVU. I know that's high, but $100 per work RVU. And so uh, why shouldn't I migrate to the 2021 values for the WRVUs? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and to use that, that thousand uh, or the hundred, I'm sorry, dollar per work RVU rate, let's use a thousand RVUs just to keep the dollar simple. Well, that's a hundred thousand dollars of compensation for those RVUs. Depending on the specialty that we're talking about, let's say it's a primary care or a cognitive specialty, there's a good chance that those 1,000 work RVUs under the old fee schedule become 1,200 work RVUs or something in that ballpark under the new fee schedule for the same visits, the same CPT codes. So it begs the question around affordability, um, commercial reasonableness, and fair market value. Is it reasonable to pay essentially 20% more for the same CPT code volume simply because the number of units of work assigned by the fee schedule has changed based on you know, CMS's final rule. Um, so it's not just a, an, an affordability question, but then also a reasonableness question. For same store activity, does it make sense? Is it a sensible business arrangement to pass on dollar for dollar those work RVU changes in compensation. And another key misconception here is this notion of, well, there, shouldn't there be money from the payers to basically offset that additional expenditure? Exactly. And I hear, I've heard that. Yeah. And, you know, the truth is Medicare is really the only payer out there paying on the current fee schedules. Most, if not all, commercial contracts tend to be tied to older fee schedules. So, we have this disconnect where a work RVU is payer neutral. Every 99213 under the current fee schedule is worth 1.3 work RVUs. But if Medicare is the only payer paying on that new fee schedule and they reduced their conversion factor to make the new fee schedule changes affordable, the other commercial payers are likely paying on older fee schedules there just simply isn't a one-to-one -one translation of RVUs into more dollars available to pay physicians. So there's a trade-off here and there's a balance between what does an organization philosophically want to do relative to changing physician compensation, perhaps shifting some dollars into primary care and in, into cognitive medical specialties, but certainly not at a one-to-one -one rate aligned with the increases in work RVU values. Yeah, and I said at the very beginning that CMS modified these WRVU values. And from the reports that I've read, CMS intended that the modifications be budget neutral. And so I've heard that from physicians that, well, this is just a budget neutral modification. Uh, is it true that the only way that it's budget neutral is if, if the applicable physician group that we're looking at, let's say it's owned by a hospital, the hospital physician group, they would have to be a mere image of the CMS mix 
in order for it to be uh, budget neutral from from that hospital's perspective. Is that true? Yeah, that's that's very accurate. Uh, and the, by virtue of being budget neutral, that sort of suggests that the total dollars available for physician compensation in the procedural and hospital-based specialties would have to be less than what it is today in order to have there be more dollars available to pay physicians in the primary care and cognitive specialties. And what we're seeing across the market, uh, you know, this year and last year as well, is a reluctance to take compensation dollars from, say, a hospitalist to pay primary care physicians, adult primary care physicians in an outpatient setting, more dollars. So by protecting the historical compensation levels of proceduralists and hospital-based physicians, that already is eating away at some of those available dollars for physician compensation. So the impact means a, a sort of a reduction in what a, a primary care physician might be expecting to see in terms of this windfall of compensation from the new fee schedule. Some of those dollars are actually being used to keep other physicians whole, and that's part of the sort of citizenship, if you will, of being in a multi-specialty medical group, for example. Exactly. So what are some of the philosophical considerations that healthcare organizations that have these compensation arrangements with physicians, what should they consider when moving, if they do, uh, moving to the new fee schedule? Yeah, I, I think one of the, the, the top considerations is, do we want to treat specialties sort of in a vacuum, if you will, and say, we do plan on rewarding and putting more dollars, if you will, in the primary care and cognitive spaces at the expense of other areas, because we only have so many dollars to spend. Or do we want to think of ourselves as sort of an all-for-one, one-for-all medical group, if you will, where we're going to hold compensation steady for most, and then that allows us to increase dollars in other areas, but to a lesser extent than what we might otherwise do if we're willing to reduce comp over here to pay more over there. So that, that sort of philosophy of what does it mean to be a medical group and be part of a multi-specialty medical group, I think is important. Other philosophical considerations are, are really tied to the, the strategy and the recruitment and retention initiatives at an organization as well. What is our five-year plan, if you will? Where are we trying to grow our service lines? Where might we have some recruitment and retention issues today? And so when we think about this exercise of reallocating compensation in a way that aligns with the new fee schedule, we want to make sure we're not solving one problem and then creating a whole host of others. And so it, you really just can't perpetuate what CMS has dictated to be the, the focus. That also has to be, and this is probably more a commercial reasonableness issue than is a fair market value issue. But as, as we go, are migrating to this new fee schedule is what is the market doing and what do we need to emphasize in this market and the challenges we as the employer are facing? Uh, with respect to how we implement it and how we compensate physicians based upon the benchmark data or the, the, the conversion rate. Is that correct? Absolutely. And there's another wrinkle there when you talk about sort of your local market. 
and recruitment and retention, we often hear about, you know, we're, we're trying not to lose this doctor or that doctor. We're fending off competing offers. Right. And in the past, that's been a little simpler to unpack, to understand what might those offers look like from a general terminology standpoint. And, you know, is it within our ability to and within compliance to perhaps offer, you know, an alternative package that might help retain those physicians? Now organizations have to think very carefully about competing offers that get brought to their attention because you need to understand what fee schedule those offers are tied to. So if somebody is, you know, has an offer in hand that would pay them $50 a work RVU, well, if that's $50 a work RVU on the old fee schedule, that's a vastly different proposition than being paid $50 a work RVU on the newer fee schedules, especially in those primary care and cognitive areas. So generally, when I'm looking at the impact on the benchmark data as a result of the 2021 physician fee schedule, Bob, I, it looks to me that at least what I'm predicting is that total cash compensation is going to stay the same for a lot of specialties. The work RBUs, the number of work RBUs performed will be going up, which then would have a corresponding decrease in compensation per WRBU. Is that what you're also projecting? Absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, in most specialties, we think total cash compensation will rise at its usual pace, uh, maybe in the one to 3% range, generally speaking. We know there are hot spots and specialties that, that behave differently year over year. But in some specialty areas, such as primary care, again, and maybe some of the cognitive specialties, we actually think organizations will shift some dollars and invest some dollars based on the new fee schedule into those specialties. So comp might go up by more than the normal amount there, but certainly not at the same pace that those work RVUs are increasing. And so if you think about that conversion factor, that rate per work RVU, if you just sort of step back and think about it mathematically, it is a ratio. And in a ratio, if the numerator is going up at a slower pace than the denominator, then the ratio will go down. So we fully expect to see total cash compensation per work RVU ratios reflective of a market paying on the new fee schedule to decrease. Um, now, if the market doesn't pay on the new fee schedule and the work RVU values are on the old fee schedule, we don't expect to see changes in that particular section in terms of comp per work RVU. But if we're talking about 2021 or more recent fee schedule work RVUs and cash compensation, we certainly expect those ratios to decrease, which creates a different communication and educational challenge than most of our clients and the healthcare organizations around the country have ever had to deal with before. Yeah, this would be a new world uh, to live in. Exactly, which is where I want to migrate to. Uh, the, the listeners of Stark Integrity know that uh, I, I was in-house uh, as the general counsel and also the compliance officer for a while for a hospital system. And trying to communicate to physicians regarding their compensation, and I've got a couple of clients, literally seven pages to try to describe their compensation program, uh, which is uh, sometimes you scratch your head and go, you know, can people really understand and implement this? 
So what are some, some of the key communication points that you would recommend that organizations focus on as they're talking about the 2021 WRBU modification impact? Sure. I, I think a lot of it can be done with the right kinds of dashboards and scorecards, for example. So you can have a conversation about why we need to decrease your work RV rate by two or three dollars or whatever the number is to pay you on the new fee schedule in an affordable and compliant way. But I often find that it's helpful if you can show them what that looks like. So if you don't show them, that sort of indicates there's a trust me factor that needs to go on to say, how are you going to pay me less on a transactional incremental rate per work RV? Right. But you're telling me I'm going to earn more. I really need to see that. And so if you can produce a historical set of work RVU data under the old fee schedule, recalculate those CPT codes under the new fee schedule, and then show the physician that here is a historical body of work valued under the two fee schedules. And you're going to see if you're, say, a family medicine doc, that might be 20% more work RVUs in the new fee schedule than the old fee schedule. Surely the intent is not to pay you 20% more. We can't afford to do that for your same work effort, nor would it likely be compliant FMV and CR, et cetera. So what we're doing is we are investing. We might pay you three or four or 5% more. And the mathematical way to do that is we have to lower your conversion factor. You know, physicians are obviously very smart individuals. And we think that if they're presented with a rational fact pattern and the right kind of illustrations, they'll have a better understanding and can sort of come to grips with this notion that the rates have tended to go up, up, and up for year over year. And this is somewhat of a level setting because the, the RVU changes are more significant than what we've seen before. Yeah. And there's some legal challenges with the migration or modification of a physician compensation arrangement under the law and a little bit under the anti-kickback statute. So some of my clients have struggled with that. So you can communicate it well, but then how do we do this in a compliant fashion? So last uh, question for you before we get to the Captain Integrity Punch Points is uh, looking at the horizon, uh, what type of uh, things do you see on the horizon with respect to the physician fee schedule changes? Yeah, and you know, and I wish I could tell you that the turbulence is over and we're sort of settling into a steady state that we can acclimate ourselves to and then eventually sort of live with for a, a number of years. But all signs are pointing towards another batch of EM code changes, this time focused on the inpatient side of the EM codes. Uh, and that is informed by intelligence and actions taken by the American Medical Association, RUC, which is the RVS Update Committee. That's essentially a group of physicians and other healthcare professionals who advise Medicare on year-over-year -year fee schedule changes. So we do anticipate, again, another significant uh, change in those E&M codes. And then that will likely force Medicare to think about its conversion factor once again, to try to keep things as affordable as possible. So I don't think the dust has fully settled on this upheaval in the RVU scale that really focuses around these EM codes.
Well, we've come to the point in this episode for the Captain Integrity Punch Points. Uh, so as we typically close down each episode, Bob, I'd like to hear your three Captain Integrity Punch Points uh, regarding this topic. Well, thanks, Bob. I'm, I'm honored to provide these. And I would say punch point number one is to be very careful when selecting a comparator group from the available benchmark data. You need to understand what fee schedule you're looking at. Otherwise, the work RVUs and the rates per work RVU might not align with your organization's compensation plan mechanics. So punch point number two, when migrating to the 2021 or 2022 fee schedules, keep in mind these key considerations. Number one, your compensation philosophy, which should serve as a decision-making North Star. Number two, your recruitment and retention landscape paying particular attention to competing offers and understanding what fee schedule those competing offers are tied to. Number three, financial affordability. And certainly number four, compliance, which should rule over all of the above. My final Captain Integrity punch point would be to prepare yourself for changes to come in the physician fee schedule. Again, the AMA RUC, that American Medical Association RVS Update Committee is a great resource to look at, look at their website and their activities to try to stay ahead of the curve in terms of what's coming down the road for fee schedule changes. I would say the RUC website, which is www.ama-assnnancy.org, is a great resource to check out. And you can also, if you'd like, just set up a Google News Alert, for example, on the AMA RUC, that's R-U-C, to stay informed on future fee schedule changes. Sounds good. Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure. Uh, what If you could provide your contact information real quick for the listeners. Certainly. Uh, you can reach me at Bob Madden, that's B-O-B, you can spell that frontwards or backwards, I suppose. And then my last name, Madden, that's Amazon Mark. A D D E N as in Nancy at SullivanCotter.com. Again, that's Bob Madden at SullivanCotter.com. That's S U L L I V A N C O T T E R. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Bob, and uh, looking forward to future conversations with you. Fantastic. Thanks again, and it's been a pleasure joining you, Bob. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity Punch Points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.